You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, today we're going to continue our study in the book of John. John has certainly been an amazing book to walk through. We've been in it for some time. And I hope that it's been a challenge to you in many ways and it challenges your thinking. Uh, They say that the book of John is shallow enough for a child to understand it, but deep enough to get lost in it for eternity. Some say that it's shallow enough, deep enough that an elephant gets drowned in. It is theologically rich. It is full of sound doctrine. And it gives us a real genuine hope for the Lord Jesus Christ to know Him as our Savior. It's a book full of promises to those who are children of God. And it's a book full of judgments for those who are not. And it is even a great opportunity uh, to experience the great exchange from death to life, from the power of Satan to God. We've been looking in the book of John for many weeks. And last week we looked at chapter 16, specifically verses 5 to 15. Within these few verses, we saw that Christ had continued to grant promises to His disciples that ultimately, by the, by the end, that the eternal truth, the eternal promises would come to pass. We discussed really three main points that brought about grief in the lives of these men who were having a high expectation of what Messiah would do by what they thought He was. And who he was. They had a lack of understanding, though, of what Jesus had been promising from early on in his ministry. They were struggling with the idea that Messiah, whom they expected to be a conquering king, whom they expected would be the Messiah who would overthrow their Roman oppression has told them many times that He is going to be crucified, buried and raised from the dead in three days, and they missed it. And because of their misunderstanding, they were overwhelmed with grief and discouragement. A lack of understanding caused them to find themselves in a place of sorrow. But in their grief and in their sorrow and in their pain and in their misunderstanding, God, Christ, offers them grace. He offers them comfort as He makes them promises over and over and over as we see in John 14 and John 15 and here even in John 16. And if you remember the grace that He offers in Verses 5 to 15 was grace for both the believer and for the unbeliever. It was a common grace. And it was a grace in which He promised to you and to me an advocate. The paraclete. 
where we get the Greek word parakalao, where it means lawyer. And he promises that he has an advocate that will stand on your behalf and will convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. For the believer, it's a promise. For the unbeliever, it's a reminder that no matter where you are today, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit of God, the Advocate, He can draw you to Himself. That you might be born again from above. There's no greater promise than that. In their grief, He offers them hope. This hope would ultimately be that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Counselor, would stand and fight for them in their times of trouble. There is no greater joy than to know that we have union with Christ. That Christ lives in us. But not simply that He lives in us, but that He lives through us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There is a great assurance. Not that our works save us. Not that our deeds determine our salvation. But that the fruit of conversion proves itself to you, yourself, that you're truly born again by the life you live because He who is in you lives through you for His own glory. That's encouraging. That's helpful. There is a great ability to have an assurance That you are truly born again because you bear the fruit of the Spirit. He filled you in at conversion, Ephesians says. And if you are connected to the life-giving vine, you will, my friend, bear fruit. So He gives the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Advocate, which should grant them some level of satisfaction and hope to know that He is a God who is in control. And though He is going away and they completely don't understand it, He's going to make a promise to them today that He can turn their grief to gladness. There is no doubt that they have some level of separation anxiety. They are facing the worst time in their lives, and they are at the lowest of lowest, point in which they find themselves emotionally discouraged. And I wonder how many of us in life, maybe not today, but maybe a season down ahead, or a past circumstance for which you, like them, find yourself in a difficult day emotionally discouraged, filled with sorrow, filled with grief. You know, we all have one thing in common, and that is we are human. That we have a lot of things in common. But here's the reality. We all walk through difficult times. We all have difficult struggles. And my hope for you today is to understand and to know without a shadow of a doubt you worship a God 
who is able to turn your grief into gladness. Not focused on the things of this temporal world, which will leave you lacking, but a true hope that is found only in Christ. I want you to understand that in the Christian life, though you may have trials, that you can genuinely experience an emotional shift from sorrow to satisfaction, from trial to triumph, from worries to well-being. This was a promise given to these disciples in a specific time, in a specific manner. But believe me as I tell you, it is a promise offered to you and me as well as children of God. It is a timeless truth that God is able to turn your grief to gladness. He's able to turn your circumstances into an opportunity to exalt His name. So maybe... You got news of a health issue, and your heart is heavy. Maybe the gas prices in their rising has caused the pocketbook to be a little bit stringent. Maybe it's harder to pay the bills today than it was a few months ago. Maybe a child is not honoring the Lord and it's burdening your soul. Maybe a spouse has not honored you in the way that honors Christ and it's heavy on your heart. Maybe you have someone who you love, someone whom you care for deeply is on the verge of death and they don't know Christ and it has been your desire and your yearning that the God of all grace and mercy would establish their ways. I want you to know we worship a God who is able to be glorified in whatever circumstance you find. What we all need to understand completely is that in this world, you will have trials. You will have tribulation. But we need to be reminded, I've overcome the world, Jesus says. Because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. When you know this is not your home, when you know this fading flesh is temporal, and you know that you are going to transition to a new place that is filled with joy and without sin and gladness and there's no tears and no pain. Listen, we can walk through the circumstances for which we find ourselves with a fixation on Him who is able to grant us a peace that surpasses all understanding by which He says He will guard our hearts and our mind in Christ Jesus. We have a God who is able to turn our grief to gladness. And so with this fresh in our minds, let us turn to the pages of Scripture and allow the living Word of God to minister to our hearts this morning. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 16, verse 20, 16 to 22. 
He says, A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, What is this he is telling us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, you will see me. Because I go to the Father? And so they were saying, what is this? He is saying, a little while. We, we do not know what he is talking about. Verse 19, Jesus knew that they were wishing to question him. And he said to them, are you deliberating together about this? That I said, a, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, and you will cry and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that has that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have sorrow now. But I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice. And no one will take your joy away from you. Three simple truths that I want you to see in our text today. Three truths that point to one simple overarching statement, and that is that Christ takes our griefs and turns them into gladness. So let's begin by understanding first the fact that Jesus reveals the resurrection. Secondly, Jesus reveals the rejection. And thirdly, Jesus reveals the restoration. Let's observe point number one, that Jesus reveals the resurrection. He starts out by telling them again what He has already told them, just in a different manner, in a different way, a different methodology. But maybe this time they will hear it. You know, as I was thinking through my sermon this morning, I thought that how many times in our lives have we heard the Word of God, listened to the Word of God, and missed what He has been saying. And in just some time later down the road, we read the Word of God, we hear the Word of God, and what He has been saying comes to light. Oh, yeah! How did I miss that? He says here, verse 16, a little while... And you will no longer see me. And again a little while and you will see me. Kind of confusing if you ask me. It's even hard to read. It's like a tongue twister. Like he's playing hide and go seek or something. But notice, if you will, the little phrase, a little while. Because this reveals the reality that he only has a short time left. I mean, the plan of God from before the foundations of the world. 
is about to unfold. It's about to take place in just a mere few hours. Now, I know we have a lot of chapters left before we actually get to the crucifixion, but know this, it's a short time period. Imagine living your last 24 hours knowing that you are headed to be crucified and sacrificed for the sins of the world. The, the disciples at this point, they don't fully understand what He is referring to. And here, neither have they understood the previous proclamations that, that He has made that He would suffer many things and be crucified and raised from the dead on the third day. They've missed it. I mean, He stated it in Matthew 16, Matthew 17, Mark 8, Luke 9, Luke, Mark 8, Luke 9, and John 12, and John 13, and John 14, and John 16. I mean, how, how many times does He have to say what's going to happen before it actually sinks in? They fail to see how close the time is that He will be hung on a cross and they still don't get it, and they are filled with sorrow and grief. He says in John 2.22, so when He was raised from the dead, His disciples remembered that He said what He said, and they believed the Scriptures and the Word which Jesus had spoken. They came to a time in which they grasped, but it was only after the fact. It was only after the trials and the sufferings that they faced that, that their grief was turned to gladness. He said in Luke 24, 68, when they approached the tomb, He is not here, but He is risen. Remember how He spoke to you while He was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And it says they remembered His words. I believe that the pain, the suffering, the loss brought about a clarity of mind. That's why I had Romans 5 read this morning. Because it's in our sufferings, it's in our trials that character is built. And when God builds character, He gives hope. The Spirit of God just come for no reason. No, He came to grant hope. And I believe that sometimes during our sufferings and in the midst of our trials and in the middle of our pain, God can bring about a reminder and a clarity in the midst of it. Because we live in America. And we've become lazy and lackadaisical. Because we live the good life. And many times it's not until we deal with the sufferings and the loss of things that we, our, our minds are made clear that, oh yeah, that's right. He told me that there would be trials. There would be tribulations. There would be difficulties. 
There will be, not might be or, or could be. No, no, no. It's emphatic. It will be. And it's in those moments that we are reminded of the promises of God. We've become way too comfortable. The modern Christian culture has been given a social gospel. The gospel plus. It's given a, a palatable prosperity gospel that has permeated our land and the churches all across this great nation and across the globe. It's caused a lackadaisical approach to the authority and sufficiency of God's Word. In an understanding, we need to be clear that in this world you will have tribulations. You will have trouble. You will have pain. You will have sufferings. And in the middle of those real life situations that bear and bring you down, I want you to know with Christ, you, my friends, can experience joy. And when you experience joy in the midst of that, you're going to throw off everybody in the world. How is this guy so happy with all that's going on in their lives? Because in those moments and in those difficulties, and listen, let's just be honest, a lot of them aren't public. But if we know that every single one of us will encounter trials and difficulties and struggles, then know that when you see your brother or your sister who is walking in joy, don't misunderstand that there's not a struggle going on. Don't misunderstand that there's not a difficulty in life. But be encouraged that no matter the circumstance, they can experience the joy of Jesus. Our joy is not based in our circumstances. Our joy is based off of Him who resides within us as believers. If you are truly in union with Christ, and Christ is really in you, you will see joy. You will experience true joy. No matter how hot it gets. No matter the circumstances you face. Why? Because greater is He who is in you. The Spirit of God, the paraclete, the advocate who lives in you and resides in you. Not only in me, but in you, in you, in you, in you. He lives in all of His children. We ought to be the happiest people on the face of this earth. We ought to stand boldly before a wicked world who is falling apart with a smile on our face. Not because you have some unique power granted to you, as I heard on the radio and about vomited on my dashboard, but because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. If you have any power in you, it's only because of Christ in you. 
So we're not determined our joy or happiness based off of our circumstances. He is our Savior. And their joy and their comforts come from Christ. But here in their struggles, their comfort, their joy, their circumstances is based off of a Messiah who is different than what they expected. So they are lacking hope. Because if they understood that their Messiah came not on a white horse, which He will, I promise you, and He will pour out His justice and His wrath on all of those who we want to have justice and wrath right now, He will come back and He will pour out His wrath and His justice and it will be done well. It will be done in a just manner. But that wasn't the Messiah that came. The Messiah that came was a Messiah on a donkey. A servant who washed the feet of His disciples. So you can imagine that if you thought someone was to offer this and they gave you this, it could lead to discouragement. But when we understand who Jesus is and what His purpose was, then no matter what happens, we can experience true joy. Jesus said in John 16, 7, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Every single one of us, in the sound of my voice, ought to be saying, Amen! Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to live one second of my life without Him in me. Because if I'm left to myself, be, wa be wary. <laughs> because I will be on the hunt to accomplish every fleshly desire that is hidden within my body. No, we have hope. It's to our advantage. Because now we have Christ in us. And therefore we have the power of God in us to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and by His will, through His Word, through the proclamation of the gospel, God will save whomever He chooses and use them for His glory. And you, my friends, are the avenue and the persons which He has chosen to do that. We can have joy. But maybe you come today and you have no joy. And you profess Christ. I want to remind you, it's not so much about the professing of Christ as it is the possessing of Christ. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name. And he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. It isn't necessarily about the one who confesses to be a Christian, but rather the one who truly possesses Christ in them. So one who are connected to the true life-giving branch, Jesus Christ.
It's, it's the one who no longer lives, but Christ who lives through them. It's Him in us that will grant us joy. And it's only possible if He goes to the cross, if He's crucified, if He's buried, and if He raises again from the dead. So Jesus here announces to His disciples, a little while and you will no longer see Me, and again a little while and you will see Me. He says, a little while and you will no longer see me. The most simple, plain reading of the text, I believe, is that he is about to be crucified, killed, and placed in a tomb. They won't see him. He's gone. At least from their view point. He is here revealing his resurrection to them. You will not see me and then... You will see me again after a little while. Now he uses this phrase in John 7, 33. He says, for a little while longer I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. He says in John 12, 35, for a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light. He's telling them that his time has come. Just that the appropriate time that God sent His Son into the world to be born in, of a child. So at the appropriate time, the Messiah, Christ, will give up His life, a ransom for many. And so He's telling them what He's already told them, for which they do not understand, which has not healed their sorrow, but it will. So they discuss the statement that Jesus makes because they don't get it at all. But they will. John tells us about this conversation as he says here in verse 17 and 18, some of his disciples then said to one another, what is he telling us? I mean, in, in layman terms, he's, what is this dude talking about? I, I don't, do you get it? I, I don't get it. A little while and you will not see me, and a little while again and you will see me because I go to the Father. What is he talking about? Y'all get it? You understand what he's saying here? So they were saying, what is it he says? We did not know what he's talking about. They totally missed it. They don't have a clue about what he's talking about. and We're we we, we sitting here today going, how in the world did they miss this? Jesus has revealed to them his resurrection. And they're, and they're sitting around talking among themselves. The, the Messiah is with God in flesh, obtaining all knowledge. He's among them. And they aren't asking the teacher. They aren't asking the Lord. They aren't coming to the Messiah with their question. But on their own, they're trying to figure out these things among themselves for which they have no clue. On their own. Listen, I think we can learn an extremely valuable lesson right here. And it is 
to stop trusting in our own knowledge and wisdom and our own understanding. And to rely on God's Word. Stop running to man to solve and to fix the problems of life. I need everybody to tune in here because this is important. There is no man on the face of this earth that will fix our nation. I don't care if he's red or if he's blue. I don't care if he's Republican or if he's Democrat. And I don't care if he's in between or on the outside. There is no man that will ever, ever in the history fix this problem that we are facing, which, my friends, is a sin problem. It is only a God in heaven through the power of His Son being sent into the world, that we proclaim boldly the gospel. And it is only when true, genuine people are converted that their eyes can see and their ears can hear. We need to be reminded to stop relying on man and turn to God and pray and ask God by His grace to handle the circumstances for which we find. But that doesn't leave us off the hook. You, my friends, you as individual who profess Jesus Christ and union with Christ, as Christ in you, whether you have the gift of evangelism or not, you are still required by the Lord, by the King of kings, to be an ambassador for Christ. We bow the knee to one, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we understand That it is through the power of Christ that we can have true change in this world. He is coming back to judge this world of sin, in righteousness, in judgment. Stop fighting with the flesh. Pay it no attention. We have a job. And it is to reveal to a dying world the need of a Savior. And when you play your part in that, I promise you that you lose sight of everything. And when you see a person come to know Christ, there's no greater joy, my friends. There's no greater joy. There's no greater joy than to watch a divine exchange that when... All of a sudden, spiritual eyes are given and they see with clarity. They, they, they hear now with clear ears. The wax has been removed. The blinders have been taken off. The scales have fallen like they did from Paul's eyes. And they will experience a great joy. So when the arrows come, when the difficulties arise, my friends, just be reminded that you have the full armor of God. 
And they go, tink, tink, tink. Sometimes they go, oh, that was close. <laughs> but they missed. Because we worship a God who is able to grant you joy in the midst of your trial. We've got to stop trusting in humanity to fix our problems. Stop looking to... Don't look to me. I'm mere man in flesh. I, I, I'm a, a saint that, that, that is born again from above and, and I'm very capable of walking in the flesh. Don't follow me. Why? Because I may die tomorrow. Sorry. I don't have any control over that. You're following me. You, you've missed it. You need to follow Christ. Follow the Savior. Follow the Word of God. And stop relying on the glory of man. Isaiah 55, 2 and 3 says, Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight your soul in the riches and incline your ear and come to me and I will satisfy you. That your soul may live. That your soul may live. Listen, if you want to gain a greater understanding, seek the Word of God. It's given everything pertaining to life and to godliness. To godliness. Seek the Lord, listen, while He may be found. And hear me, when you seek Him, you will find Him when you seek with Him with all of your heart. He isn't second. This isn't what you do when you have time. This is what you do. It's primary. And if it ain't primary, your Christ is not primary. We have to make sure we go to the Savior. Not, a, not try to figure it out among ourselves. Your sorrows will not be turned to joy from some temporal satisfaction. Your joy will not come from earthly hope. He says, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let your heart not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know why? Because our hope is found in nothing less as the hymn says than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You are not the hope for the things of this world for this is not our home. You can't have heaven on earth, my friend. If that's what you're looking for, then you need to go buy Joel Osteen's book have your best life now. And if this is your best life now, I don't want nothing to do with your best life. Because I don't know about you, this ain't my best life now. I look forward to the kingdom of God. 
to being with the Savior of the world who has gone and who has prepared and will come again and receive us to Himself that where He is, we are also. Not about having your best life now. It's not your best life. Now it is to come, my friends. Your best life is not found in red, white, and blue. There's about one color, and it comes in the color of red and the cross at Calvary that can grant you true joy. So when the world is falling apart to pieces, you can stand bold in the faith. Do I love this nation? Of course I love this nation. Do I need to pray for this nation? Of course I need to pray for this wicked nation. Jim Brown just told me that Starbucks is now paying their employees to go get abortions, covering the cost and their driving expenses. But, but you know, the owner says he doesn't care. He doesn't need Christian's money. Well, you know what? I don't need his coffee either. And you're right. you know what? He really doesn't need our money. Why? Because the Bible says there's more going down than there's going up. And so we live in a world full of people. And if the Bible says there's more going down than there's going up, then there's more ungodly than there is godly. And if there's more ungodly, and we are a nation that is formed by the people, for the people, guess who's voting? The wicked! Your hope is not in this country. Yes, that God will open the eyes of people so that their eyes can see and they can vote most biblical. But God is the one who puts people into power. In case you all forgot, Daniel says that. If there is a leader, it's God's choice. And if God puts a man there to bring judgment on America, He is all sovereign and He is all capable. And we give glory to God in the midst of it. For when it's sinking... Those in Christ float. Because we are, we are set upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. So whatever happens in this world, just remember, it's going to burn anyways. Let it be. Let it be. Preach Christ in Him crucified. He will grant you joy. He will grant you peace. He will grant you victory. It's all founded in Christ. He reveals to His disciples the very thing that will give them hope, joy, and they missed it. I hope you will not miss it. I hope that you will not form a faulty level of thinking that your joy, your happiness, your security, your, your circumstances are based upon anything here. More so, understanding the temporal joys of this world are fickle. Happiness is cheap. And it's like a roller coaster ride. It's good this afternoon, but boy, in the morning it can be bad. No, my friends, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which offers you true, irremovable joy, is the gospel. It is the gospel. Because Paul says there is no resurrection from the dead. 
If there is no resurrection dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. The reason our joy is found in the gospel is Paul says, I delivered you is what is of first importance. The good news. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Which you've received and which you stand by, which also you are saved. The gospel saves, my friend. If you, if you hold fast to word I proclaim to you as good news, unless you believe for nothing. He didn't just say that for no reason. There are plenty of people throughout history who have believed for a little while, then fell away. And the scriptures are very clear that if they went out from us, they were never really of us. And if the, and, and they went out to show us they were never really of us. Don't listen so much. As much as you watch. Because words are just words. They're just words. They mean nothing without action. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Words. The gospel. But listen, what if Jesus never died and went to the cross? It would just been words. But it was not so. Christ died according to our sins. According, according, for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And He was buried and He was raised on the third day. Jesus reveals the resurrection and they missed it. At least right now they do. You don't have to, my friend... Miss it today. You can place your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the death, the burial, and the resurrection to save you, to deliver you, to give you irremovable joy and confidence that no matter what comes your way, we look forward to the day of hope and redemption that comes from knowing Christ. Yes, He has conquered the grave. Yes, He has conquered death. O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? They have missed this hopeful message from Christ. So they don't know what he's talking about. They don't know what he means. When he says a little while and you will see me in a little while longer, or you will not see me in a little while longer, you'll see me again. But Christ and his deity, all-knowing God in flesh, understands that and sees that, and so don't miss His divine attribute. But He says here, Jesus knew that they were wishing to question Him. And He said to them, Are, are you deliberating together about this? And That I said, a little while and you will not see Me, and again a little while and you will see Me? So He reveals the resurrection. But secondly, He reveals the rejection. There will always be those in the world that reject Christ. There will be those with false, phony, and fake joy that are on the outside to convince you they are what they are not. It's temporal. A matter of fact, we've already been told that there will come a day in John 16, 1-2, these things I've spoken to you so that you may keep from stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. The world rejects Christ 
and therefore he rejects followers of Christ. And these are religious leaders he's talking about. These are the Pharisees. They look good on the outside. They sound good. They have lofty words. But they are ferocious wolves on the inside. And if you'll have eyes to see, they will become clear. They will become clear. And no one will even have to tell you. Because I don't. here's the reality. When people focus in on individuals and they give them their solitude and their absolute trust, if someone tells you they are wrong, you would never believe them. You would never believe them. But when you see it for yourself, when you watch it with your own eyes, you can't deny it anymore. You can push it away for a season. And you can even settle in for some time for greater purposes of divine intervention. But know this, what's in you will come out. And they will become clear. These religious leaders attacked. They have tongues that cut like a dull sword and swift to wrath. They have hearts of the devil that is the father of lies. They are liars and the enemy's objective has always been by standard operation from the beginning of time to what? To steal, kill, and destroy. By whatever means. Possible. And the enemy wants you to follow him. Isn't worried about you following Christ. The enemy is not worried about you honoring Christ. And there's an offer of joy, isn't there? But know this soon you will find grief. He offers you gladness, but all you end up is with guilt. So Christ steps into their lives, in their little meeting of the minds, and tells them what is to be. I love how Christ offers them what He knows to be true. How does he know what is to be? Because he's God in flesh. So with strong terms, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you that you will cry and lament. Thanks for the encouragement. <laughs> you will cry and you will lament. Over what? They will cry and lament because their friend, the Lord, the Savior, will be nailed to a cross before their very eyes, crucified. He never saw it coming. They will, and they will flee, and they will reject, and they will run, because they've missed it up to this point. There will be a heart full of sorrow, and not only will sorrow fill their hearts of the disciples, but Jesus continues and reminds them and us at His crucifixion when He departs, they will no longer see Him. He says, while you are in anguish, 
but it will not be so for the world. Truly, I say to you, you will cry and lament, but the world will rejoice. They reject Christ. But your sorrow, while you will be sorrow, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Listen, the world will reject Christ. They will rejoice at the suffering of Christ, His crucifixion, and the faithful followers of Jesus Christ. They will try their best to kill you, to steal your testimony, to hide it under a bushel, with the intention of killing whatever it is that God's doing in through your life with the ultimate purpose of destroying. The enemy is a destructive person. He has one intention, destruction, demolition. Christ is about restoration, forgiveness, and grace. And when He comes back, oh, He will destroy, but it will be a righteous judgment. They think they've done a respectable job for crucifying the Messiah. And it will bring them joy. But this is a false joy. I mean, they even knew after they crucified Him. What have we done? He was indeed the Son of God. Their satisfaction comes from the devil. There is a demonic influence that brings about a satisfaction in wicked people to fulfill the deeds of the devil, which is destruction. The difference between you and them, he says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. There is a great contrast between the wicked and the righteous here. Yours will be joy. Your grief will turn to gladness. Why? Because you will see me again, he says. The sad situation here is that the joy and the rejoicing of the world, the contrast is that theirs will turn to sorrow. Theirs will turn to shame. And one day, all the wicked who rejoice in their wickedness will live an eternal life of shame and rejection from the one who is able to save their souls. The world will reject. And it will even look like they're winning many times. Don't you hate it when God in His sovereignty grants the enemy that which seems to be victory. And you, you can hear David he, he, right here. Oh, how long, O oh Lord? How long will you allow the enemy to seem victorious? We shall be reminded of the promises of God for those that are wicked and evil that prevail with injustice. Job 20 verse 5 says, The shout of joys of the wicked are short. And the gladness of the godless momentary. 
I mean, even the wicked people mock Jesus in the worst horrendous sacrifice of the Son of God. Those passing by were blaspheming Him, shaking their heads, saying, Who are you going to destroy the sanctuary and build it in three days? Save yourself! At the crucifixion of Christ, the devil seems like he's won! But three days later, he rose from the grave. Truly, truly, he says in verse 20, I say to you that you will cry and lament, but the world will rejoice. But you, your, you will be sorrowful, but your, sor- your sorrow will be turned to joy. I would rather have my sorrow turned to joy than my joy turned to sorrow. And I want you to know that you can have your sorrows turned to joy today. He says in John 16, 21, whenever a woman is in labor, she has sorrow. But her hour has come. Because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a child has been born in the world. I've experienced this seven times. The difficulties of bearing a child and then the joy they bring when they cry. At least for the first few hours. You see, you will have sorrow. You will have pain. You will have trial. You will have tribulation. But know this. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For this, for our momentary. Light affliction is working for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are unseen are eternal. It may seem hard. It may seem tough. But know this. It is building in you Christ's love character. And that's why James says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Everybody wants a diamond without the pressure. God doesn't work that way. You are living refiner's fire and he will purify you so that you will be perfect gold so keep your eyes on christ he is your steadfast hope don't reject him who is able to save you from your sins and bring you out of the grips of the devil your grief my friends If you find Christ and have Christ, your grief will turn to gladness. Jesus reveals the resurrection. Jesus reveals the rejection. But finally, Jesus reveals the restoration. He wants His disciples to understand what's coming. He's told them they've missed it, but will soon become clear. And so he reminds them, therefore, you too will have sorrows, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Don't let the enemy of what God has promised you. (laughs) There was pain. There was grief at the foot of the cross. But there was an unspeakable gladness that came upon them when they saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead. 
John 20, 20 says, While it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, while the doors were shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, stood in their midst, and He said to them, Peace be with you. And when He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side, and the disciples rejoiced. When they saw the Lord, when they saw the Lord, they rejoiced. It was here that it became clear. For what he had been telling them had now come to pass. And joy filled their hearts. And I think there's a great lesson for us today. That while you and I can't physically see Christ resurrected from the grave, He promised you and me the Holy Spirit. Whom does not speak on His own initiative, but only that which the Father says. And He has indwelt you with His presence. The triunity of God lives in you and grants you joy and hope and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and all of the effects that come from Christ being in you. So I don't know what you bring this morning. I have no idea what God is doing in your life, many of you. But what I do know is that if I can walk through it with a joy, you can walk through it with a joy. And somebody else has already walked through it. And by God's grace, they will come alongside of you and encourage you and remind you to look to Him who is able to turn your grief to gladness. You will never experience true, genuine peace and joy and gladness, listen, unless you possess Christ. Because if you are justified, if you are declared right before God, if you are in union with Christ, only then can you experience. If you're not born again from above, if you're not a sinner saved by God's grace, if you are not a man or a woman that has ever believed the gospel, your pain, your sorrow, your grief, listen, will remain. But when you see Christ in all of His glory, when you see the gospel as the key to the saving of your soul and the granting of goodness and gladness in your heart, my friend, you will be free because He who has the Son, my friend, is free indeed. you either a saint or you ain't. You either are filled with the joy of the Lord or ravished by regret. But know this, this stark warning 
to every single one in the sound of my voice, wherever, whenever this is heard, you will bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. You will. And He will knock you off of your own throne you've created. Because He is Lord. Because God has given Him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let Christ turn your grief to gladness. Trust Him today. Let's pray. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at FamilyBibleFellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.